0: I guess I'm going to title this message, Happy Ever After. Before I get into it, I'd like to pray. And I wonder if there are some people around this auditorium who will kind of sprinkle in their listening of this message with prayer. Would you raise your hand if you'll just keep me covered in prayer? Need a couple more. Okay, intercessors, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Let's talk to our dad. Uh, Father, uh, we uh, we just know that um, there is nothing of kingdom value that happens Uh, unless you're involved in it, unless your spirit is in it. Best music in the world doesn't change your heart unless you're in it. And an eloquent speech doesn't do a thing of kingdom value. It might be entertaining, but it doesn't do anything of kingdom value unless you're in it. So Lord, we're not interested in eloquent speeches or any kind of performance. We're interested in you. Our hope is in you alone. And so we ask, Lord, that you now come into this place, into this message, into words that come out of my mouth. And open up our eyes and open up our ears, and I pray especially, God, that you'll open up our eyes to the reality of the resurrected Lord, that we could see your glory, and that people here would fall in love with you, perhaps for the first time, and begin to drink of that resurrected life that you died and rose for us to have. Let it happen, Lord. I can't talk anyone into it, but by your Spirit, it can be done in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. One of the things that really establishes, uh, helps to prove that the Gospels are historically reliable, they're rooted in history and not myth, one of the things that helps prove that is that they contain a lot of features that legends and myths don't have. They contain a a lot of uh, detail that you would leave out a lot of uh, puzzling facts that you would leave out if you were creating a story. The resurrection narratives in particular are filled with uh, things that are puzzling uh, that aren't answered. Legends and myths always tie up the loose ends. They never leave question marks. But reality, history, often has question marks. And the Gospels leave us with with some questions. One question is this. We don't know what Jesus really looked like when he rose from the dead and what his nature was. But here's a puzzling fact. It seems that, that whether people recognized him or not, depended somewhat on their spiritual capacity to see. There are people who who saw him but didn't see him. It's it's an unusual fact. Mary Magdalene talked to him for a while in the garden before she recognized that it was Jesus. Uh, There's an account in Matthew 28 of people on the mountaintop who uh, a number of people saw the risen Lord, but some questioned whether it was really him. And then there's this interesting story that I want to kind of use as our starting point this morning. This interesting story about two disciples of Jesus. They'd been with Jesus for several years in ministry. And then they saw him crucified and their hopes were dashed. And they were walking, several days later, it was on Resurrection Sunday, they were walking down the road uh, uh, to Emmaus, talking among themselves. And they met a stranger. And they began to speak with this stranger and he began to expound scriptures and do some teaching and stuff. It was Jesus Christ, but they couldn't see it. Unusual. And they invited him to dinner, and it was only after he sort of repeated the Last Supper and they broke bread together that the Bible says their eyes were opened. And here's how the text continues in Luke 24, verses 31 and 32. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. That's an unusual thing. They said to each other, "We're not our hearts listen to this. We're not our hearts burning within us while He was talking to us on the road, while He was opening the scriptures to us. You see, they didn't see that it was really Jesus, but once, once their eyes were opened and they recognized that this was the resurrected Lord, and that their hopes that had previously been dashed were actually being fulfilled, once they recognized that. They could, na- they could name, they could label, they could identify an impulse they had earlier, and that was their hearts were on fire. All the while walking with them, there was a mechanism inside of them that was going off, but they didn't know what it was about. They couldn't quite name it. It's a, a vague aspiration, a longing in their heart. And it was only once they encountered the resurrected Lord that they understood well what their longing was all about, why their hearts were on fire when they were walking to him, uh, with him on that road. I believe there's a number of people in this auditorium this morning who are in a similar situation. You have longings, you have dreams, you have hopes, but you really don't know what it's about. And you try a multitude of different things to satisfy those hopes and nothing quite seems to fit the longing. The pain of unrequited, longed-for love continues on. Because you see, Jesus Christ is in this place and you've got a mechanism inside that's going off. And my prayer is that by the end of this message, your eyes will be opened. Let me tell you about another burning heart, another uh, love story. About 90 years ago, there was a faded ship that crossed the Atlantic. And on that ship, there was a young, snobby rich girl and a young peasant boy, and they fell deeply in love. And for several days, just fell into a passionate love. The ship, as you may have heard, hit an iceberg and sunk, and 1,500 people met uh, a terrible death, including the young man. His name was Jack. Rose, however, largely because of the heroism of Jack, survived. Jack blurped his way to the bottom of the ocean right after Rose said, I'll never let go. I... I <laughs> you think they would have edited that, but anyways... Eighty-four years later, Rose is still alive, and she's lived her life thinking back on Jack and the love that she enjoyed, and she never could quite love her husband, uh, that she eventually married the way that she loved Jack. She always remembered Jack. And then came the time when Rose herself died. And for the three of you who haven't seen the movie, here's how it ends. Our Kleenex is up here for those who need it. My daughter, when she, my daughter Alicia, when she saw this uh, movie, she had to call us up for a ride, and she's on the phone, she's like, <laughs> come on, pick, pick us up. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's no good. Um, you know, there's something profoundly satisfying about that ending. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, Uh, and and some of you have goosebumps as you're watching that. Others, you have the sniffles, maybe a tear in your eye. Some of you hardcore people are kind of wondering about the theology here. Were they all Christians? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just let it go. Let it go. It's a a movie. (laughs) 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 Flow with it here, all right? But it's, uh, it, it, it's a profoundly beautiful ending. It's satisfying. It's, you know, the, the, the 84 years that she lived, uh, it, in the light of the ending, it's, it, it's worth it. The, the love is, is not permanently and eternally squashed. It, it's consummated in the end. And, and the tragedy that the people went through, the mistakes that they had made, whatever, it, it, it's, it's uh, brought together in a satisfying, complete way. And there's something in our heart that burns for that kind of an ending. Think how sad it would have been if the movie would have ended two minutes earlier. You know, Rose just dies. (laughs) You know, a a sad lady uh, longing for a love that she almost had but didn't quite have. uh, Jack... It's totally forgotten because the only one who knew about Jack was Rose. And so his life was just sort of gone into oblivion. And Rose, after her daughter dies, no one else knows about Rose. And she goes into oblivion. And finally, everything just goes into oblivion. Uh, that's not a satisfying story. Uh, there's something about us that, 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 that we, we great at that. Why would you tell that kind of a story? The end of the story is what makes it worth telling. It's that way with all great stories. What'd you think if Cinderella stayed locked in the basement? And the rest of her life, she just slaved for a stepsister and mean stepmother. And, and you know, the prince came to the door, but she was, you know, to find the, 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 the maiden whose foot fit the glass slipper. And they got so close, but nah, she couldn't get out. And, and, and uh, she lives the rest of her life a, a bitter lady because of her unrequited love. And, and the prince goes off, and who knows what happens to him, but he certainly didn't have a good marriage because he's still thinking about Cinderella, the love he almost had. You wouldn't read that to your kids at night, you know, before bedtime. It's a, you know, the, the end of the story is what makes the story worth telling. Apart from that end, it's a, it's a pointless story. It's kind of an ugly story. It's a mean story. And, and our heart yearns for something different. Snow White bites the poisonous apple of the evil witch and she just dies. <laughs> and then her body decomposed and Sleepy went off and committed suicide because he was so in love with Snow White and Prince the prince never showed up. You know, there's something profoundly unsatisfying about that. There's something in our heart that yearns for a happy ever after, for a blessed ending, an ending that will redeem everything that went before it. And without that ending, we just have unredeemed nothingness, unredeemed, pointless, meaningless kind of pain. And so the question I want to ask this morning is this. What kind of story are we in? What kind of story are you in? In your story, does Rose just die? Does the Titanic just sink and that's it? You die and that's it. Uh, The stepmother stays, or the uh, Cinderella stays locked in the basement, and that's just the end of the uh, the story. Snow White dies and decomposes, and that's it. Is is that your version of a story? Because see, if that's your version of a story, then the story you're in is really quite pointless. It's really quite meaningless. Uh, it, 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 there's no uh, overarching theme, no consummation, justice doesn't win, love doesn't conquer all, uh, beauty doesn't reign. In the end, it's just ugly. In the end, it's just mean. We, we, we pop into existence absurdly and live a momentary absurd life, a pointless life, and then we die, and that's all there is to be said about it. It's a pointless story. It, it, it's a story that's really not worth telling, which is to say, it's almost a story that's hardly worth living. And there's something in our heart that longs for that not to be true. It's as though we're wired with an unquenchable thirst for something at the end to make the whole story worthwhile, something to justify the telling of the story, something to justify the living of this story. We long for justice to conquer injustice. I was speaking with a man this last week. I was doing a teaching for YWAM, and there's a young man there who whose whole life is spent uh, uh, getting uh, girls sold into sexual slavery, out of sexual slavery in Cambodia and Thailand. And we're talking about a a relationship we can have working with our medical clinic over in Cambodia, And, and and and. he was just giving this, the whore, sad, terrible story of these young girls who at the age of six get sold into sexual slavery. They invariably get AIDS and die between the age of 18 and 20, and that's it. If that's the end of the story, this this story we're in is indeed very, very ugly. And as we were speaking together, what we agreed on was this. It's it's a vision for an ending that redeems this pain that makes this story worth working for. You work for good to overcome evil because there's a part of you that says good should overcome evil. But if the story just ends uh, in death, well, then good doesn't overcome evil. There's there's no uh, uh, reconciliation. There's no satisfaction. There's no redemption. But we, we long for justice to conquer injustice and for beauty to overcome ugliness and for meaning to overcome absurdity, and for love to conquer all. The question is, what kind of story do you think that you are in? All great stories, all great mythology, all great sagas have this in common. They express the unquenchability of this hope, this intuition, this wiring on our inside, that there must be an ending to the story that, that redeems the story, that makes sense out of this story. And people in a variety of cultures throughout time, not knowing the reality that their longing was directed towards, they creatively project onto the screen of reality their own expectations. And they express that longing, a story which, if true, would make some sense out of this life and, and would, would atone for the suffering of this life and would in some way or other be a happy ever after ending to this story. Some have worried about the various parallels, vague parallels, but the echoes of the Christian story that you can find in some uh, mythological themes. But you see that ought to be there because we all have the same intuition we all have the same hope we all want a titanic type of ending to this thing we're driven towards that you may in your mind be denying that and maybe you try to explain it away as just wishful naive optimism but but there is something inside of you if you'll just pay attention to it that longs for that and all people at all times and all cultures have had that intuition and expressed it through the various stories of their culture C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, the author of uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, said things like this. In Jesus Christ, we find the reality to which all mythology points. In Jesus Christ, we find the fulfillment of all great storytelling. In Jesus Christ, C.S. Lewis says, we find myth incarnate. Myth incarnate. Myth being the, the, the expression of the deepest desires of the human heart. But in this one case, it is true. It happened in history. Uh, The the love story became fact. And Jesus Christ completes what those other stories sort of approximate. Because in Jesus Christ, if we understand it, understand the story in its own terms, we have the most beautiful, lovely, uh, outrageously glorious story ever told. In fact, it's the greatest story that ever could be told. Now, I know that a lot of religious groups try to make it into a very ugly story. But if you read it on its own terms, it is, in fact, the most beautiful story ever told, the most beautiful story imaginable. You can measure the intensity and purity of a love in any story or in real life by the gulf that the lover was willing to cross for the beloved and the sacrifice that the uh, lover was willing to make for the beloved that's why stories about great sacrifice you know rose willing to you know give up all the riches she could have had Uh, uh, stories about kings uh, abandoning their kingdoms for the sake of an undeserving peasant those stories have more poignancy more power than just ordinary run-of-the-mill peasant loves peasant love story. Because there's a greater gulf, there's a greater sacrifice. We see in the gospel story, you have the greatest gulf crossed and the greatest sacrifice ever dreamed of. Not only is it the greatest golf and greatest sacrifice ever told, it's the greatest golf and greatest sacrifice that ever could be co- told because it's the story of the all-holy, infinite creator God who had a passionate, passionate love for a race of people on a little planet in a little solar system in a little galaxy in some remote corner of the universe. And these people thought they were God. They wanted to call their own shots. They didn't want to submit to anybody. But God didn't give up on them though he easily could have uh, for reasons we can't quite get clear. It has to do with love. And sometimes love goes beyond reason. This God has a passionate, perfect love for these little, tiny, rebellious people on this little, tiny planet. Every single one of them. And so this God crosses an infinite distance to come down to our our level. In fact, he becomes one of us. In fact, he doesn't just become one of us. He enters into our sin, as we said on uh, the Good Friday service. He absorbs within himself our sin. He absorbs within himself the sin of Adolf Hitler and the sin of Greg, Greg Boyd, the sin of Joseph Stalin, and the sin of Joseph Blackman, and the sin of every single person who will simply let him absorb it. He absorbs it within himself. He experiences the terror of that within himself. The all holy Son of God, experiencing what is absolutely antithetical to himself. All that is vile, all that is putrid, all that is carnal, all that is sinful on this planet, he takes upon himself. And then even more horrifyingly, he takes upon himself the punishment for that sin. Why would God do that? It's because he's a God of infinite, unsurpassable, unfathomable, incomprehensible, unending, unwavering, spectacular, stupendous. I don't have words for it. All that kind of love. That's the kind of love he is, and that's the kind of love he gives. And that sounds too good to be true, it means that you're beginning to think along the right path, you know? But you haven't gotten there yet. He's infinitely better than that. The infinite distance he crosses and the infinite sacrifice he makes puts on display the infinite love that he is. And that love, what you've got to know is this. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever your past, whatever the struggles are, that infinite love burns towards you individually right here right now. He is your Jack, and you are his rose if you'll say yes to him. He wants, to ha- he ha- wants you to enjoy, to experience, and to be transformed by. Uh, a laser beam intensity kind of passionate, unwavering love that this world could never give you. And that, my friend, is why you were created. That is why you are created, to enjoy that kind of love. It is the most beautiful, breathtaking, gorgeous, lovely story that could ever be told because it's about the most lovely, gorgeous, breathtakingly wonderful God that we could ever possibly conceive of. And in this case, it's not just a story. It is, in fact, true. Not only does your heart ring true with it, but as many have found, including C.S. Lewis and Oxford philosopher and J.R. Tolkien and thinking people throughout all of history... This is the only story that actually fits all the historical facts no other account of Jesus does. It's the only story that explains fulfilled biblical prophecy. No other version of the story does that. It's the only version that makes any kind of philosophical sense out of the world. No other version of the story does that. And it's the only story that makes sense out of the fact that you, if you're honest with yourself, long long for it to be true. You have a hope and a dream of something like a titanic kind of uh, ending for your life. You, you long for a love that this world can't give. You have a hope that this world can't satisfy. You have a thirst that nothing in this world can quench. Now you've got to ask, where did you get that from? How did you get wired like that? What, what put that inside of you? If you believe, as many biologists tell us, that, you're, that, that we're just sort of complex protoplasm burping forth from the primordial soup, evolving into higher forms of complexity through mere time and chance, if that's what you believe, <laughs> then you've got to answer the question, how could nature, nature alone, produce beings, us, who by their nature are so against nature, are so at odds with nature? How could, how could nature produce these beings who have these longings and cravings that, 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 that the world can't satisfy? Nothing, nothing in this world totally fulfills the longing of the human heart. How do you explain that? This story does explain that. Because this story says you're made in the image of God. And you have got a God-shaped vacuum, a God mechanism, and it's the burning in your heart. You long for God because you were made for God. And maybe like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you don't recognize that yet. You can't quite see it clearly yet. But you've got to know that that's why you have the longings that you have for. And that's why this story rings true in the human heart, as well as the human mind, as well as every other aspect of our life. And you want a happy-ever-after story? This story has a happy-ever-after ending like no story that's ever been imagined. Compared to this story, the ending of the Titanic is pretty wimpy. This ending, the ending of this story, well, the Bible says that the eyes never seen and the ears never heard it's never entered into the imagination of the human person what God has in store for those who love him, for those who will simply say yes to him, for those who will let him be their jack, who will be his rose. It's never entered. The most we've ever done, the most beautiful music we've ever played, the most beautiful stories we've ever told, the most beautiful art we've ever seen is a vague, faint shadow of the beauty and lovability of what God has in store for those who love him. Because you see, When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die on the cross. He rose on the third day. Praise God. And when he rose on the third day, he defeated death. So the story goes on and on and on. And all who say yes to him, the story goes on and on and on. You want a happy ever after ending? He didn't just become a human being, but rather he came to redeem humanity. That's the meaning of the resurrection. He didn't just become our sin on Calvary when he rose from the dead, as we sang this morning. He burst the chains of sin. He burst the stronghold of sin. He burst the punishment for sin. He burst the oppression of sin. He set the captives free. That's what the resurrection means, and it goes on and on and on. He didn't just enter into Satan's domain here on this planet Earth. When he entered into Satan's domain and when he died and then when he rose from the dead, he blew apart Satan's domain so that they have no more authority on all who will simply align themselves to Jesus Christ. He didn't just come down from heaven. He entered into hell, the hell of our existence, the hell of our sin, and in doing that, he burst apart the gates of hell. He led captivity captive. He set the captives free, and so now everybody who will simply say yes to him can walk in liberation, can walk in freedom, can walk in a way that life was meant to be lived. No more strongholds, no more ties, no more oppression. You walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ and it goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever. And if you're saying to yourself right now, that story's too good to be true, I, I respond to you by saying, you've, you've had your mind dulled by the mediocrity of this, this age. Let yourself believe that it really this could be the greatest story ever told and you can have a role to play in that. Death couldn't keep him in the ground, he defeated death. Satan couldn't keep him in the ground, he defeated Satan. Sin couldn't keep him in the ground, he defeated sin. He reigns forever and ever as we sang. And so the only remaining question is this. Will you reign with him? Will you open up your eyes and see before you the resurrected Lord? Every hope you've ever had has really been a hope for him. All the different ways, many of them dysfunctional, that you've tried to find love in your life what you were really looking for was Him. Because you're wired for a kind of love that you're never going to find just in human relationships. The ways you've been trying to fulfill your life, to find some happiness. The mechanism driving that, the burning heart, is a mechanism about Him. You're, You're longing for Him. Your desire, your wish that you could start over again and undo the past... What you're longing for is him because the only one who can wipe the slate clean is him. Every hope, every aspiration we've ever had has been an aspiration and a hope for him. The dreams you have, the dream of a titanic type of ending is a dream for him. And his wish and his heart's desire is that when your titanic sinks, and it will, we're all in the process of sinking right now, his heart's desire is that he'll meet you kind of on the staircase there. And he'll be your jack, and you'll be his rose. And he'll embrace you and, and then share with you a banquet supper, as the Bible describes it, with the joy and the righteousness and the peace and the glory, and most profoundly, the love of God himself will characterize your life, will share, will dance with the triune God for our eternity. The question is, is, is this your love story? That's his love story and he wants you to be a part of it. But a love story requires two. What would you think of a love story where a a king leaves his kingdom and, and, and suffers intolerably and becomes a peasant in pursuit of a peasant girl who doesn't deserve him. And she, he finally comes up to the peasant girl and says, you know, I, I've traveled from a far country. I've left all riches and all wealth and all fame and fortune in pursuit of you and I've suffered intolerably because I love you and I consider it joy uh, to have done that. Will you, will you be my wife? Will you, will you embrace me? And what if the peasant girl goes, yeah, nah. That's not a love story. You see, the love story has got to have two. It's got to have a response. What would you think of the peasant girl if, or of Rose? If Jack turns around and Rose is coming up to him and, and then you know, the music's playing, everyone starts to clap and they embrace, and all of a sudden Rose goes, "Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of busy right now, I, I, maybe later. That's not a love story. That doesn't give me goosebumps. No, it's when she reciprocates in the embrace and that kiss. And you know that this is going to go on forever. Now you've got a love story. God has paid the highest price for you, and the Bible says he considered it joy because you're worth it. He wants to live eternally with you. God created the world. God is an incurable romantic. He's in the process of creating a romantic love story here. He's the lover, and you're the beloved. What are you going to do in response to him this morning, right here and right now? What is your story? How is your story going to end? Will the Titanic just sink? Will Cinderella stay in the basement? Will Snow White just die? Will Rose just die? Or are you going to embrace the one who created you and the only one who can fulfill you in an eternal embrace and dance that will never, never end? It's not about lip service. That's not a love story. Just praying a cheap prayer, that's not a love story. It's not about getting fire insurance to make sure you get out of hell. That's a contract. That's not a love story. It's not about becoming religious and doing some religious things here and there. That's not a love story. It doesn't doesn't give anyone goosebumps. It's about you in the core of your heart surrendering to the lover and saying, you have my all. It's about you committing to work towards reciprocating the love that he has for you. It's about you making him the center of your life the way he's made you the center of his life. And now we've got a love story. What I want to know is, do you want... want to do that this morning. Would everyone close their eyes and pray? Those of you who are part of this love story already, pray for those who aren't, because I want to give everybody here in the next two minutes a chance to do this. If you're here this morning, and you're in the position where you're saying, my heart has been burning, there's been a yearning, there's been an incompleteness in my life, and I now believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can receive who can satisfy that. Would you just raise your hand here this morning, real high so I can see it. Praise God over here to my right. I see some hands. Raise your hands really high. over there, a number of people. Wonderful, wonderful. Don't do this if it's about lip service or buying, paying fire insurance. Amen, up here, wonderful, ma'am. I see that hand over there, a dozens of hands. It's about you joining in the greatest love story in the back over there, the greatest love story ever told. It's about you committing your life. You won't do it perfectly. None of us do. Over there, a a couple of other hands. Keep on raising them if you want to surrender this morning. Are you willing to sell out for him this morning? That's the question. Others, raise your hand if you want to join in this. There's been several dozen people who have raised their hands here. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, be moving. Dare to believe it. Your story will either be a tragic one or the most beautiful love story ever told. You were created for the second, not the first. Those of you who raised your hand, uh, will you pray with me this prayer? Uh, Like a wedding vow. uh, Pray from the depths of your heart. Don't just do it by rote. There's nothing magical about this. It's just getting you started in a relationship that God wants to have with you. And we'll all join with you in this prayer because we're all part of the bride of Christ and we do everything as community. We do it together. So pray out loud these words. Heavenly Father. I know that you have pursued me all my life. It's hard for me to believe, but you have a passionate love for me. And I confess honestly that I have walked away from you. I've tried to live my own life and tried to do my own thing. But right now, I want to stop that. I want to repent, turn around. And I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Wash me. Come and live in me and help me live for you as my lover of the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, and for from this moment on, including me, in your wonderful love story. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Woo! Like on the Titanic. Like the Titanic. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Okay, listen. Listen up here. 30 more seconds. Those of you who raised your hand. Okay, I didn't tell you this before. Maybe I should have. Maybe it wasn't fair. But there's a bounty on your head now. The devil hates what you just did. And this walk isn't going to make your life any easier, but it will make it infinitely more fulfilling. You can't go it alone. You're not supposed to go it alone. You need people around you. It takes training and, and work to grow in our capacity to love God and, and to love others. The first act of a discipleship is what I'm going to tell you right now. I want to ask you to fight the crowd as they're leaving, and that's not easy, but he's worth it. And to come up here, and to my right, your left, uh, these two stunningly good-looking people, have some material that they'd like to just share with you. They, uh, it, it's some information you really need if you're serious about uh, walking this walk and going deeper with God. So when we're dismissed, please come up here and get that information. Could we all stand? Join hands with one another. Let's just end it this way. I've been emotionally screwed up all morning, so I'm going to do some weird stuff. Just join hands. And let's just say this. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is glorious. He is great. He is marvelous. He is lovely. And we give Him our lives. We give Him our praise. We give Him our gratitude. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Easter. Praise God. Hallelujah. The, uh, the altar... Brian, if you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, our altar is open. Our, the front of our auditorium is open. So come forward. We have prayer teams that would love to pray for you. Amen.